Over the last few weeks, um, during this church season and celebration of lights, we recognized Hanukkah and paid tribute to the Jewish celebration, which was uh, Thanksgiving time. And we've been conducting our own somewhat unconventional advent, a time of preparing oneself to receive a great gift represented in the Christian culture by the child, the birth of a child in Bethlehem long, long ago. The first week of preparation, we lighted a candle for hope. The second week, we lighted a candle for inspiration. And today, we light a candle for peace. And many of the Christian churches around town, that would be called the shepherd's candle. Um, And in the story from the Christian Testament, angels appear to the shepherds and tell them good news of uh, hope for the world, and they sing a song of peace. Other places in the Christian Testament... um, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. I think that's from possibly Isaiah. But, so this today's candle is for peace. For a number of years, my son and I got on the roof of our house. And incidentally, today he graduates from college. And if y'all want to attend, you're welcome to be there. Yes, he's <laughs> But we would get on the roof of our house and crawl around and, and attach by the hardest these blue rope lights to spell out peace on earth. I really liked the idea of pointing to that part of the season, of that part of the tradition, um, and getting people's minds hopefully back towards the ways that we're alike instead of how we're different. Um, But, you know, as many of you know, because you've witnessed it and others have just heard report, we would then proceed on New Year's Eve to blow up the front yard. (laughs) So here we had peace on earth written on the roof and writ large on the roof of the house and all of this commotion going on down at the street level. And isn't that kind of what we do some? I mean, we, we're good with the words. But the way we live our lives is a struggle with everything. Now, I've had... Uh, long and tempestuous relationship with our fair city. I wasn't born here, but my family moved here when I was two. And I grew up here until into my 20s and was gone for a while and came back when I was 30. You're glad I left? Well, but for years and years, it was not uncommon for me to say 
this is a great place to raise kids. That was, of course, before I ever wrestled with the idea of what it would be like to raise an unconventional family here. But that's another story for another day. But Shreveport is a, a very interesting city. Have you ever noticed how places have a feeling about them? That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with how they look or for what purpose you're there. I think place has memory. That there's a residual energy or feeling that it carries that betrays what has gone before there. What's transpired in the past? Locations have a presence that's independent of even the people that are there at the time. You know, it's not always really apparent, but how many of you have ever felt that, noticed that? Yeah. See, it's not uncommon for those of you who haven't. Um, well, so in spite of the fact that I grew up in Shreveport, no one would confuse me for an historian. And I can't relate to you a lot of the specific details of things that went on here, but I have a good general sense of some of the deep history of this place. I do have a general awareness of many things that through the generations I think have contributed to making this a place that religious liberals and creatives and seekers and progressives can often find challenging. A location with a feeling of particularly high gravity And those whose nature it is to fly around with the ephemeral, ineffable force that moves life and justice forward, that long arc. That energy that knows no restraints and limits often meet, those people often meet with a good bit of opposition here. And I think it takes a mighty spirit to thrive if that's your nature and this is where you have chosen to live some of your dreams. Mighty not in ways of defiance. As a matter of fact, if it's defiance, it's probably going to deplete you even more. But in ways of peace. The kind of peace to which I'm referring is not, is right now, is personal peace, internal peace, ever available to every single one of us. 
an abiding peace that sits below the storms of where we preoccupy ourselves. Developing that inner peace requires nothing more than our learning to be present exactly where we are in a given moment. This past week, I had lunch with a friend who is completing a PhD in Martin Luther King Jr.'s studies. And during our discussions, I raised a relatively rhetorical question uh, about how Dr. King might respond in circumstances that weren't directly related to the civil rights movement. The people that were in those uh, marches, all of them were trained at length how to behave in circumstances where people are being abusive, how to not respond to the things that are automatic from us. But would Dr. King, would Gandhi respond with the same passivity when their families away from the marches, away from the civil rights movement and, and trying to, res to move beyond British oppression. Would they have allowed people to come in and mercilessly beat their families? I don't think so. I can't answer that. Like I said, it's a rhetorical question. Being willing to defend something when that's appropriate doesn't mean that you can't be at peace. And it doesn't mean that what's undergirding your actions, your thoughts, and your attentions can't be peace. We're all called to walk different paths. I can't tell you how to manifest peace in your life. But I know that it requires intention. We talk a lot here about prayer and meditation and different forms of dis personal discipline that can contribute to one forming a more easy relationship with peace. And there are a lot of people that are very uncomfortable with those practices. But I want to suggest that if we all rejected things that didn't come to us naturally, no one would make friends with their enemies. Gandhi's movement would not have been successful. Dr. King's movement would not have been successful. 
We can pay lip service to lofty ideals, but living them out more fully, more richly every day asks us to be mindful of it and make a commitment to those efforts. Think of someone, this is, this is the part I was talking about in our class. Think of your grandmother or some older woman that you care a lot about that maybe has cared for you too, given you some care. Hold that person in mind and imagine it being absolutely acceptable for someone to beat her regularly and abuse her in all sorts of ways. Can you contain the rage that you would feel How have we moved forward? Actions like this happen all over our world. The kind of understanding and the kind of deep connection with something bigger than we are is the only thing that carries people beyond that kind of a circumstance to a place where they can recommend the reconciliation councils of South Africa. I believe that the, only the people who have walked through absolute fire understand the price that has been paid for our luxury to sit here and learn about peace. Can we commit to working just a little harder to things that are uncomfortable to us so that we may be, be peace with the people that we know or that we interact with? I really like the quote that was on our marquee for a long time. And it came from Jimi Hendrix. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Power and control can be interchanged, I think, semantically in this instance. I just invite you 
to look beyond the things that you can think or even imagine and know that there's something more we can be a part of. <laughs>